The Adventure Syndicate presents the Jenny Graham Round the World podcast, sponsored by Shan Cycles. So my route took me, started on Berlin and took me east. I went through um, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, into Russia. Spent a really long time in Russia. <laughs> in June 2018, Inverness cyclist Jenny Graham set off on her Shan Stushi steel frame bike, affectionately named Little Pig, to become the fastest woman to circumnavigate the globe. She did the whole thing unsupported. No one to sort her accommodation or meals or wash her clothes. No one to give her a wheel, cheer her on or smooth her passage across the borders. This was just one woman, her little pig, and a whole big fat saddlebag of determination. Um, and so then I went from Anchorage down the side of the Rockies, uh, through into Canada. Um, While she was away, Jenny sent back audio postcards. And this podcast is a combination of her thoughts and reflections when she got back, together with some of those recordings from the trip. And came up through Portugal, Spain, France, Belgium, Holland, and right across Germany, back to Berlin. Part two, Russia. I just found myself sitting, staring at my phone in a cafe for so long, way longer than I should have. And I thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe I should be, be doing a bit more productive and like record something instead of just sitting, staring at it for ages. I thought I'd come outside and let you know what was happening. It's, um, it's the 3rd of July. I'm not very sure what day that is. It's the 3rd of July and I am just east of Omsk. Um, I came through it last night and I've had a really funny little day. Like I totally slept in this morning and then had quite a relaxing breakfast and it's just like I'm not really giving myself too much of a hard time about it. In fact, I'm not at all because I'm sitting speaking now to you. Um, And it's just like, yep. I could do with doing, uh, doing a longer day day, but actually I clearly needed the I clearly needed the rest, so I'm just giving myself it. Um, I should still get a 200 kilometre day in, so still like 120 odd miles, which is hilarious. That I think that's a rest day, like my perception, <laughs> my perception of distances and what's a rest is completely blown out of the water. Um, but yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'll do. I've got a bit of a deadline now. So I've been in Russia for, oh, it feels like forever. Like, I've been on the go, I think, for 17 or 18 days. And just, like, so much happened in that time. But Russia, like, the first few days were fine, or the first sort of week, because, you know, you're passing through borders and you've got lots to kind of focus on. And, you know, you're making progress. And even coming into Russia, hitting Moscow, like, that was, like, another sort of deadline point. But then, it's Moscow. It's just so big. And, like, you don't recognise any of the names on the on the um, signs. And you can't, like, I can't pronounce most of them, so I sort of make up names that I'm going towards for three days, you know. And, uh, and then I get there and I'm like, yay, I'm here, I'm gone again. <laughs> but it's, so it's hard to... It's hard to keep your focus on, like, I'm just sort of concentrating on getting getting the hours in because it's like, yeah, it's so easy to mentally get lost and just... um, But you've got no... 
I suppose because you've got no a particular end point for ages. I think that's what it is, you know. There's like, but now I do have an end point because I've booked a flight for before I left. I booked a flight um, from China on the 19th of July, and that's getting very close. And I am on target, despite losing loads of time with changing night shift, day shift, blah blah blah. Um, I'm on target, or I was before I had a lie in this morning, for making that plane. So I'm hoping that I'm still going to be able to, still going to be able to do that. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely sort of counting the miles and stuff that I'm putting in. When did it feel that time was most pressured for you? Because time is something that can evolve and change yeah. over time, over the course of your journey. Yeah. So how did it change and when was it most pressured? Um, always on the lead up to the airport <laughs> or catching a flight, like catching a flight or finishing the, um, like actually the actual end of the trip where, you were gonna, where I was gonna finish it all. That was when time became really really important that's when you know I had actual like people waiting for me flights waiting for me I would do all-nighters and just like ride all through the night I would do all sorts of silly things just to make make my um make my flights I found that if I felt that I was going to have extra time in a place before my flight I would almost get a bit panicky about it like oh what a waste of half a day getting there in the morning and not flying till the night time and it would start hurting my head that there was this waste of time and how could I get there and actually in reality I always arrived in the airport like skidding into the car park sideways mad dash trying to unpack my bike never had a shower before I got on the flight like never had a nice relaxing time at the airport it was just like go 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 and then I'd be on like my rubbish little seat crammed in a corner somewhere I think oh maybe half a day sitting in a cafe would it be nice <laughs> yeah, I was just sitting having a coffee there and this lady came up like I saw her watching me you know like the minute you go in somewhere you're just like right where's the charging points and you know you're making the very most of your time and so I went in and just sort of got everything ready, charging points, got like, got my food ordered up, washed my hands and was like on a bit of a mission. And she just came down and started speaking English to me. And I was like, oh, wow, it's like no one's no one spoke to me. Like I've only had one other person um, speak to me in English since I've been here. And uh, so I had a nice wee chat about what, what I was doing and where I was going and stuff like that. Um, but the other person I wanted to tell you about that did speak English, this young lassie who I'd met, she was only 14, and I met her in, um, I just met her in this cafe that was that her mum worked in. So I arrived in, it had been a thunderstorm, and I arrived in quite late at night, and I was on a bit of mish as usual. I was like, right, I'm going to get the charging point, I'm going to phone home, I'm going to like leave here in 45 minutes. And I got in and she looked a little scared and I thought, oh, no wonder, because like I'm in such a mess. And then she, um, I'd sort of spoke or made gestures about where's it and then, yeah, she sort of froze. And then her mum came over and so her mum didn't speak any English, but she, like, she just sort of pointed, you know, was nice. And then I looked round and this young girl was just like right beside me. 
and then in the most beautiful voice said I love English I learn it at school and it's like oh bless so um, her name was Nastia and she was like I was trying to remember right what did I remember in French like what did I learn in French in school like what phrases you know so she could use them so I was asking her what her name was where she was from and stuff like that about school and she just like oh she was just so interested and interesting and so she went like basically went the whole menu with me despite me just saying oh I'll just have like you know the soup and the pasta she wanted me to know absolutely everything <laughs> that's on the menu and so she would like go about explaining that and then when I got my meal I thought oh fine like because I was pretty like you know I'm pretty done in and it looked really lovely you know when you're that knackered like making an effort you've got to make an effort it's like oh why I don't know if I can do this and I thought at least when I eat my meal I can like you know zone out a little bit and try and sort of because I had to go I do another four-hour shift so um um but she was having none of you just grabbed a chair up and sat down beside me and I was so sweet like it's like what 14 year old girl would be that like excited about speaking to you and so she sat and we talked about we talked about Russia and we talked about Scotland and um, the beautiful part of it and she showed me pictures of her favourite places and she would go out and um, camp out with her friends in the forest and had beautiful photos of the moon and we talked about the snowmen and we both had like quite a lot of pictures of snowmen on our phones so that was quite funny um, How difficult was it balancing the, the, the desire to keep going with the, the necessity to, to sleep and rest. How did you make the judgments of, of what you needed to be doing at any one point? Cycling mm. or sleeping mm. or eating, or whatever? Yeah. Um, so sometimes the decision whether to sleep, eat or ride your bike was taken out of your hands because there would be no stops like you know the, the only stops there would be would be a hundred miles apart from one another so you were like now I'm riding my bike <laughs> when I get there I will stop and you know what I love that I absolutely love not having to decide every time I pass somewhere why just have one more coffee well, I just pop in. I know I've already had four today, but surely I could have one more. Um, so having that decision taken out of my hands, I really liked, unless I was really hungry. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish that coffee was hurry up. But you can plan for that. So you can plan for that sort of 100K or 100 mile stops. Um, I decided that I was never going to give myself a hard time, try not to give myself a hard time, if I overslept. So I'd always set my alarm and most of the time I would get up with my alarm. I was pretty, I was pretty disciplined, much more disciplined than I am at home <laughs> um, for getting up with my alarm. And if I didn't get up with my alarm and I'd overslept, I would be like, do you know what? You needed that tomorrow you will get up with your alarm and I would but the time that I did struggle with getting a grip off my time management was my stops for breakfast lunch and dinner stops um, and when I stop I can go for hours I can cycle six eight hours at a time don't need to stop really happy just munching on the go but when I stop I stop I like you know all my kits out I'm everywhere I've got three tables taken up <laughs> 
I'm drawing things off, I'm chatting to people, I'm texting, I'm like, yeah, everything's happening, everything's happening, um, and I find it hard to get going again, and that stops, I'm like, oh, I need, I need, like, half an hour sometimes just to gather up my possessions and get going and then I'm a bit like oh I can't really be bothered and as soon as I'm on the bike I'm absolutely fine but the the stopping times were a bit that I struggled with the whole way through but um nasty I was just like you know just 10 more minutes just 10 more minutes so I ended up being there with her for about two hours I think but it's beautiful it was so so lovely um, Ideally, I would stop for three and a half hours a day. That would be my, um, that would be like my toileting, my drinks, my food, my faffing with kit, everything. Um, but some days that would be up at five hours. And if that's at five hours, if you've got five hours stopping through the day, you're not going to get all your miles through the night, like all your miles through the day as well, and get asleep. So it was sort of keeping that, it was always in your head when you stop, right, but if I don't go now, then I'm not going to be able to get as many mile, uh, as many hours riding time in as I want, so. Right, I better get on the road. Is there anything else? Oh, so last night I was thinking about the motels that I'm staying at. So it's really bizarre because I've been getting into places at all times of the day and night and looking for accommodation and because it's on this Trans-Siberian Highway, like, and obviously I've banged on about the lorries and after, you know, there's a lot of traffic on it. Well, everything's set up for these lorry drivers that, you know, maybe, or just need to come in and crash for a few hours and eat. So there's like, there's food, 24 hour food in most little sort of villages or that that you pass through um, and accommodation, but, it can be like, like last night for example it was three in the morning when i got into this motel and this lassie made me like like an egg benedict type um, meal and a cup of tea and then um these guys like were sitting with me one of them gave me um one of them could see that i was wanting to get wi-fi so let me hotspot him and they were just like having their own wee conversations together <laughs> and it was just like there was just so much going on. It was like, it's three in the morning, it's getting light. I'm just going to bed. And you know, people are just sort of wandering in and out. It's like, there was no time scale on it. It's really bizarre. Yeah, it's sort of anything goes. It's quite good. It's been quite good in that respect because they, even though, like I can just turn, as long as I'm riding a certain amount of hours, then I can just sleep whenever, you know? And um, I don't have to be too, like, I don't have to be too stuck on times. The only thing is that if I sleep, if I decide that I'm going to ride through the night and then sleep as it's getting lighter, it's really difficult to find somewhere to bivy in the daylight. Um, so then you're kind of stuck to get an accommodation. I don't know how many nights accommodation I've had. Like, when I was on the night shift properly, then each night was had to get accommodation that morning. Um, but... Probably half and half. I've been sleeping in like bus shelters, round the back of bus shelters are quite good. Um, my favourite one was, um, oh, it was just when I'd come into Siberia. I must find out the 
the name of that uh, city and it was just on the outskirts of a city oh that's right and then like I'd got accommodation for the night so I went in to get something to eat and this guy was sound enough you know like gave me food and then said you know like is a motel do you want to sleep and then I went to pay and they didn't take card and um, I had just run out of money. But anyway, I knew I should have had money in me. So then I was trying to do a bank transfer. It wasn't working. And it was for like £4.50. You know, it was like, oh, no. And um, for like for dinner in, in the room. And which was, that was really cheap. It's not been that cheap. But that was, that was really, really cheap. Um, and then... So then I had to get, it was one in the morning by this point and I was kicking myself for, for wasting all this time. And so then I had to get a taxi to take me to a bank machine and then take me back to the hotel or the motel. And um, so this guy was like, you know, I'll come with you, which actually at the time I was like sound because then I don't have to explain to the taxi driver, like, you know, I have not got a clue what I am. And so that'll be great if you can, if he can tell him. So he did that and then we got back got the money got back it's like two in the morning by this point and then he totally started coming on to me over google translate <laughs> it was weird it's like no 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 stop it and like i was proper stern like you know like so he knew that it was like no way that was normal and um yuck but he kept doing it like kept writing these messages um trying to get me to go to bed with him it was just like mate has that ever worked for you like i am really not fancying your chances i felt most scared for you when you were having the whole google translate male attention in russia okay that was when i felt most uncomfortable yeah um Tell, tell me about okay. about that and how you processed it and dealt with it. Okay, so before I left, you know, I did a lot of research into the different cultures and and what what if what if any could I expect as a solo female being out on the road? Okay, so that's only responsible thing to do for any solo traveller. Um, so I looked into that and I knew that around that area that there could be that there could be a bit of a difference in culture um, and you know people like I might expect a bit more male attention basically and it wasn't again it wasn't like threatening at all like he wasn't threatening uh, whatsoever it was just like really cringy and and once he'd done it for the second time I was like in my own head I was just getting back in I was exhausted it's like, how far are you going to let this, like, how far are you going to let this go? Are you just going to go, are you going to be able to go and sleep in the motel and feel okay about this? Or does this not feel okay and does this feel like, you know, you want to get out of here? So I had to make, like, a quick decision. And I thought, okay, it's fine at the moment, but if he does it one more time, just pack your bike and go and you'll find somewhere else to stay. Like, and really hoping that he didn't do it. And uh, then the third time, he did it again, one more time, and I was just like, nah. I was already collecting up my stuff to go to the motel room. And I was just like, nah, mate, this is not happening. That's not okay. And packed up my stuff and left. 
and so then it was like two half two in the morning sun was just starting to come up I haven't been to bed yet I was like oh no why are you doing this Jen but I never actually felt threatened he was just a pain it was just a pain you know it wasn't like it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a threatening situation to me. It was more like a Saturday night if someone's pissed and on and on at you, you know, like trying to chat you up and you're like, oh, shut up, mate. It was one of that ones. And then there was another time where a guy had stopped one of his, the big Arctic lorries and got out of it. And he was, he was actually probably the most, he wasn't threatening, but it was, that was the time that I felt like, I need to remove myself from this situation. So he'd stopped his big Arctic lorry and he was trying to give me a lift to the next town, which was like 500 kilometers away. And it was dark and stuff. So um, it was, and I was like, no, no, no. And then he, then he went ahead and stopped the lorry again. And then, you know, got out and I saw him with sat in his hand and I thought, oh no. And I was thinking, where's my multi tool and stuff? What that's what if that's a weapon? And it was actually a lighter, he was having just having a fag. And then he was like drawing in the sand how many kilometres it was to the next town, like just come in the van. And I was like, no. And then um but I was really forceful, no, at this point. And then um and then I was like, he I can't remember what he did, he might have he might have followed me a little bit in the van and I was like, I saw a light on and I was like, I'm going to get out of here. And I wasn't due to stop then, but I just stayed in a bus stop for about an hour and, you know, that was off the road a little bit and let him get well ahead. And, and, and again, when... Oh, I can't even remember them. Oh, in a hostel, that's right, where actually a guy came in. That was really weird. A guy had come in and I'd woken up as he came into the hostel, made eye contact with him, which was really stupid. I think he was pretty um, high. And then they tried to get into conversation on my bike, but I was just like, oh, zonked out, put the light off. And then I don't know how I was sleeping for it. And then they woke me up with this Google Translate, like in my face. Um, either offering sex or asking for sex. I don't know what it was, but there was going to be a hundred dollars, like a hundred pounds, a hundred uh, rupees involved. It's just like, what is going on? And uh, was like, not like no. And uh, but then they were like, almost not pleading, but like almost like you know, just saying it in in their own language. I don't even know if they were Russian. And uh, and the little kid there too, you know. And uh, I was like, oh, so I just was like really stern and like pointed over to their bed and said, go and uh, leave me alone. He was like, get to your bed. Just get to your bed. I was so tired. I was like, I'm not leaving this one. And uh, sent him off to his bed and then spent about 10 minutes wondering if he wanted me to give him money or was he going to pay me? <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? Shut up, Jen. Just go to sleep. Um, but again, you know, I slept in the same room as him. I didn't feel, oh, this is a threat. I have to leave. This man's going to hurt me. And I don't know what the crack was like, if they just arrived there at that time of night. Like, were they refugees? Were they... Like, yeah, I'm not very sure. I'm not really very sure, like, where they'd come from and if they had anywhere to go, even. Um, and was this, like, an emergency sort of... emergency bank out for them? But it was it was really sad. And, like, I'd just seen them, the, the person again this morning and was, like... Um, it just sort of looked... Yeah, 
just looked really sheepish and you know like you just it's just another reminder of how you know like how easy like my life basically today is oh can I cycle for 310 kilometers and anytime I log on to my phone I'll have amazing messages from my family and friends of encouragement and telling me how great I am and you know like all these things that are that just breed success and make you feel like you can do anything and that is my worry today like here I am in Russia and that's what I'm worried about and then these folk that came in last night with a wee kid and you know their worry is where am I going to get $100 from and will this stranger have sex with me for $100 and you know what are they like what are they going to do today it's the same like is this their whole life's just turned upside down and it's just another reminder of like how privileged we are and you know if I was back at home then then like you definitely wouldn't count me as privileged you know I'm like I don't own anything because that is what we that is what we look at as privileged don't we like you know what if we what do we own what education have we had what like you know what wealth we got and that's that's what we look at as privileged but actually privilege is having the choice like I've got the choice to get up today and you know ride this amazing bike that's been built for me and go and eat with this money that's been raised for me and and ride my bike for 305 kilometers and get told what a hero I am for it and then these folk that have no choice like it's actually nothing about money is it it's choices yeah, so that was a bit of a, like, that was a bit of a, yeah, sort of another, another reminder. I've had a few of them as I'm coming through of just, yeah, how, how lucky we've got it. I didn't, I didn't tell my family about those because they would have completely, imagine like hearing that, you know, oh my God, they'd have been so worried. Whereas if I was like, oh, this really drunk guy was trying to chat me up on the way home, then they wouldn't have been worried. But that's, that's what it was like, you know, it was just like that. So, but I did a lot of things to, it was a busy highway and there was people from all different cultures on it, you know, where, where being a female wasn't, um, well, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I struggled to say it was just because I was a female. I think any lone cyclist out there would probably have done the same things to protect themselves. If my son was out doing it, I'd have given him the same advice as that I was giving to myself, you know. Um, and that was just things like if when it got dark, I wouldn't go into the restaurants and bars where the drivers were stopping and then going back on the road because then I'm like, oh, there's a lone cyclist on the road. Um, so I would just pop into garages and and leave from there. And I made that decision fairly early on that I was going to do that. Um, and yeah, like I say, it didn't... It, it didn't feel I. I felt like I, I felt like it was under control, and I didn't feel like it was threatening. And it was like three occasions. I think there was another occasion as well. But I mean, I'd bought. I got the guy's hot spot off him, and I thought, oh, this is not going to come for free. Like he's, you know what I mean? I was dying to get on the internet. 
It's like, but I had a motel and I was like, it's fine, I'll just lock the room. I'll just pretend I'm going to the toilet and lock the room. I just need to get on Wi-Fi for a minute. And uh, so I kind of expected, <laughs> I kind of expected that one. Uh. <laughs> I've never felt threatened. I was more scared of all the stray dogs that I was getting chased by last night. So I came through Omsk at like one in the morning and oh my God, all these mental stray dogs, like gangs of them hanging out at bus stops and that. It was weird. Um, were just looking for food and scavenging about any time you went past. They would give you such a chase. So like, it had to be, I had to be properly giving it some going past them, like giving it some welly. And, but this one corner I turned, totally didn't see the dog. And so I was going pretty slow. And then he saw me, we clocked, there was like a second, split second that we didn't, that we were like, <gasps> I was like, dog, and he was obviously like, leg. And um, then he barked and put the chase on, but there's no way I was going to be able to accelerate in time. It was a big, like it was a decent sized dog. Oh, um, but I'd been eating a cereal bar and I just managed to like, get it and chuck it at him. And I think I shouted, food, food, or something like that. And uh, so he got, so he just stopped and ate the cereal bar instead. But yeah, that was scarier than any of the advances I've had. So that's quite good. Right, I better get riding my bike instead of just sitting talking about it. It's very nice, so the sun's shining. It's the hottest it's been all day here, actually. It's been a bit chilly, um, which is nice as well, because it means the flies aren't out. Oh, man, the flies are crazy. Crazy, crazy. I am so itchy, like head-to-toe itchy. I mean, I think adventure books and stuff, you know, adventure films, they don't talk about the flies that you have to put up with. I think that's my, like, I can do so much suffering and I can do so much, like, uncomfort and things like that. But when it comes to beasties, oh, man, just, like, ugh, itching just thinking about them. Just crack me up. Where's your dine? But anyway, it's not that today. It's quite a good day. Right, I better get on and do my nursing with 200k. Hey. Okay, bye-bye. Jenny Graham Round the World podcast is an adventure syndicate production made possible thanks to Shand Cycles, a small independent bicycle company based in the heart of Scotland, fabricating hand-built steel bikes to order since 2003. Along with Shand, special thanks goes to Mike Webster, Thomas Hogburn and the folk at Bogbane Farm. The music was One More Round by David Seste, Reservoir Sunset by Axletree and Arizona Moon and Rubber Ball Machine from Blue Dot Sessions. For full music licensing details, head for the Adventure Syndicate webpage. The story consultant was me, Penny Latin. Coming up next time on the Jenny Graham Round the World podcast. Oh my goodness, tell me you're getting this moon the same as me. It's just crazy. It's like a massive big blood moon. And you know when it's just coming up over the horizon, it's absolutely huge. It's still like pretty low in the sky. Um, this is the second night it's been like this. Um, last night I was coming through this massive city. I can't remember what it's called. It was just like I've just come into Siberia. So it's um, yeah, it was just the, the first city that I came into, and I was looking through like the cityscape, thinking 
that cannot be the moon. And then like looking all around the sky for the moon. And it was like, no, the moon's not up there. That has to be the moon. I was like, no, surely it's like a billboard or some like light. It's just like too insane to be the moon. And sure enough, it was the moon. And my camera just didn't pick it up whatsoever. So I can like, I can't take any pictures of it. It's just in my head, which is pretty cool. <laughs> and I just can't wait to like get further east and um, yeah, just be seeing that in like Mongolia. I'm not sure why, it just like feels really special. Yeah, feels cool. <laughs> Love the moon.